prophets are still speaking, uh, even to this day. We will uh, find that to be the case uh, here today for sure as we uh, find ourselves digging in on the uh, story of Jonah. Uh, happy Fourth of July to each and every one of you. I hope that you have uh, a great weekend with uh, family and friends and that you uh, take, uh, take a bit of time to uh, consider uh, the great freedoms that are a part of our country uh, this is an important day for the life of our country, and I think it is around the world as uh, others aspire to the sort of freedoms that, uh, that we share and that so often take for granted here, uh, here in the United States of America. We uh, consider today uh, stories, uh, stories that, uh, that really are a part of our lives. Every, everybody has stories. We all have stories. They they share the joy and pain of our lives, and they need to be shared. And whenever stories are shared, we need to, uh, to listen to them. Everybody has their stories. And I hope that those uh, form in your life and that you take the courage to share those with others, uh, sometimes to share those stories among trusted friends, sometimes to, to share in order to encourage or inspire others. All of us have stories. We all love a good story. Uh, we, uh, we're drawn in by them, uh, not only in how they're told, but the, the very content of those stories. Uh, we, uh, we particularly find ourselves engaged when, when stories challenge us, when stories inspire us, when stories bring us to the place where we really are given pause to think and maybe even to, to, to resolve to do things differently. Scripture is uh, full of um, all sorts of stories, for a long time, for a long time, the, the, the stories that, that make up Scripture were those that were not so much written, but those that were told. Oral tradition is very much part of the development of Scripture. Stories told one to the other, even from generation to generation. A fellow by the name of uh, Caesar Kalinowski asserts that storytelling is the best way to convey Scripture. He's all about uh, naturally expressing the good news of the gospel in story, in, in normal, everyday conversation. He calls that gospel fluency, working in God's story into the very conversations we have with other people. I spent a day with Kalinowski some years ago in the group I was with we, we worked on uh, telling God's story. We effectively uh, told that story from uh, the beginning to the end, the, uh, the, the sort of genera uh, Genesis to Revelation. And it was, I, I marveled as we told God's story how easy that was and really how profound an experience was when we began to weave in our own stories of how God's story had intersected our stories, gospel fluency, sharing uh, God's story in the everyday conversations of life. This morning, we uh, encounter a story told by one of the, the minor prophets, a story that reflects the profound ways that God had intersected his life. Today, we consider the story of Jonah. Let's, uh, let's talk about Jonah just a, just a bit. Jonah, the, the, the book of Jonah, is, is essentially uh, four chapters in length. And they're not very long chapters at that. 
And as I have done every Sunday of this series uh, in the Minor Prophets, I've encouraged you to pick up Scripture and to read the entire uh, book that we're, we're studying for that, that week. Four chapters, all relatively short. Uh, you have the opportunity uh, here this afternoon to pick up the, the book of Jonah and to read that story. Like many of the minor prophets, Jonah prophesied in the 8th century B.C., centuries ago. Uh, he probably uh, prophesied after Amos and Hosea. They, they pretty well led the way when it came to the 8th century prophets. But Jonah, on the other hand, uh, probably did prophesy before the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel. Uh, to, they fell to the Assyrians in 722-721. So somewhere in that, uh, that midsection, that last third, if you will, of the 8th century uh, B.C., Jonah uh, came forward as, as prophet. Jonah is mentioned in other uh, places in the uh, Old Testament, particularly at Second uh, Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Uh, he prophesies about how the, uh, the boundaries of that northern kingdom of Israel would expand under King Jeroboam II. Jonah also knew that while that was a time of relative peace, that uh, Israel had become quite comfortable. In fact, not just comfortable, but uh, also complacent. And in their complacency, they had let some things slip spiritually. In fact, they'd sort of lost their way spiritually, and it was into that sort of circumstance that they, uh, they began to, to, to ply in, that Jonah began to ply in and to, 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 to share. The story of Jonah, as we will soon find, is not very much different than our own stories. And as we said, all of us have stories. Jonah's story is a story of call. God intersecting life, leaning into life, offering call to an individual. So the, the story of Jonah is really a story about call. But at the very beginning of this, it's really a story about resisting call. Ashley, in her prayer, it, uh, had, had shared about Jonah not only hearing the call, but also resisting the call. And that's exactly what, uh, what took place. And in that, we find that we're not a, a lot different than, uh, than Jonah. We're not a whole lot uh, different. We hear the call, but yet we resist the call and then sometimes go the op opposite direction when it, when it comes to that call. To experience call is, uh, is to be set apart for sacred purpose. Set apart for sacred use. That sort of thing in the minds of some is, is, is really only geared to a few special folk who have been called especially by the Lord. Sometimes um, we, we get in, in mind that only those that are called are those who are ordained clergy or those who go into full-time Christian service, whether that be as a missionary or whether that be on a church staff or, or in, in, in some um, uh, Christian institution that reaches out to, to those who are around them. I, I'm of the mind that all are called. All are called every person, no one excluded. God is always seeking to intersect life, to, um, to, to offer uh, that call for that specific person at that specific time. All are called. For Jonah, 
hearing God's call was not a problem. In fact, he heard that call loud and clear. Jonah's problem was with his response. He, uh, he didn't take too kindly to what, what God was calling him to do. Again, like I said, Jonah's story is a lot like our story. So often we hear that call, we, we get that, that impression that this is the very thing that God wants me to do the very thing that God wants me to say, the very person with whom God wants me to interact. And we head the other direction. And so that brings us to our scripture for today. We, uh, we read from the very first chapter of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It sets the stage for this wonderful uh, story about call. And if not call, then the resistance to call. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of, of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for, for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah was called to bring a warning against the Ninevites. Now the interesting thing about the Ninevites is that there was no love lost between the, the Ninevites and the Jews. In fact, they, they really despised one another. So Jonah was in no mind for group hugs when it came to the Ninevites. He certainly wasn't uh, very excited about singing kumbaya around a campfire. That just wasn't what Jonah was about when it came to the Ninevites. He heard the call, and his response was such that he ran away and didn't just run away. He attempted to run away about as far as he could run away. He, uh, he boarded a ship, set sail, and went destined to, to go from one side of the Mediterranean all the way to the other, from, from Israel all the way over to the coast of Spain to try to run away as far as he could from the Lord and the call upon his life. Now, down through the years, any number of people have uh, run from their call. It happens all the time. In fact, that may be the case, may have been the case for you. That also may be the case for you right now running for, from the call that God has placed upon your life. You may or may not know this, but seminaries are, are full of what are termed second career uh, folk. They're the ones who, um, who sensed a call earlier in their life, maybe even in their adolescence. They, uh, they ran from it. They, they closed themselves to it. They, um, they took up another pursuit, maybe that first career, if you will. But God uh, continued to pursue until they accept, accepted the call, and there they found themselves in seminary to fit them for the ministry to which they were called. You know, when it comes to God, you can run, but you cannot hide. You can run, but you cannot hide. God has been turned by some, and in fact, this is an old line term, the hound of heaven, the hound of heaven. He's after us all the time until we find our hearts turned his way. 
until we find ourselves being given over to the call that he has for us. So Jonah boards ship, a storm brews, God was pursuing his wayward servant. Eventually, uh, Jonah ends up being thrown over, overboard, and there's a lot of drama in, involved in that. You can read about that this afternoon. And as we know, Jonah ends up in the belly of a great fish. Everybody remembers uh, uh, the Jonah ending up in the belly of that great fish. You know, these minor prophets, centuries ago, uh, very timely. Last week we talked on the, uh, the the prophet Joel and the occasion for the prophet Joel was an invasion of locusts that just destroyed everything, and that's when Joel picks up the mantle of prophet and begins to 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 really intersect the the lives of those who were were a part of that time. And then in, uh, against that backdrop, we we talked about the 17-year locusts, uh, really cicadas. And, their noise and all that, that, that goes on around that. And, and so we were able to tie uh, Joel and, and what's going on today. And, and so very timely, even though these prophets uh, spoke and prophesied centuries before. So today we, uh, we talk about uh, Jonah landing in the belly of a, of a great fish. And just two weeks ago, uh, you may have heard this, uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Michael Packard uh, 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 from Cape Cod, He's a lobster fisherman. He dives for lobsters. And he gets uh, scooped up by a humpback whale. And he found himself in the mouth of that humpback whale for 30 to 40 seconds. He even lands not only in the mouth of a great humpback whale, but he also lands on the set of uh, Jimmy Kimmel. And they build this uh, set of the humpback whale. And, uh, and Michael uh, uh, Packard tells his story to Jimmy Kimmel. It's really pretty funny. You need to need to, to, to look that up. The chances of, 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 of being scooped up by a humpback whale are what I understand to be a trillion to one. It happened for Michael. It happened for Jonah. In that interview, he was very quick to, uh, to share, I did not get swallowed by the humpback whale. I was in the mouth again for that 30 or 40 seconds. Uh, nothing compared to the uh, three full days that uh, Jonah spent in the belly of that great fish. And while he was there in the belly of that great fish, Jonah had a lot to think about. Jonah had plenty of time to pray. In fact, that circumstance uh, led him to pray. Who of us wouldn't pray as well? Jonah, in his prayers, ended up uh, praying uh, prayers, recognizing God's mercy and grace. He, he also uh, prayed prayers of thanksgiving. Think about that. You can uh, read about it in the second chapter of Jonah, uh, verses 1 through 9, as you pick up this great book later this afternoon. As you know, the, the, that uh, great fish spewed Jonah out on the shore. You know, some versions have, uh, have it that Jonah was vomiting on the, uh, on, onto the shore. That always gains the attention of those uh, middle school boys. As they hear that, man, you got them right there whenever you're talking about vomit. That's just the way it is. I like this uh, summary of uh, Jonah in the belly of that great fish. Sort of the story, at least to this point. God said go. Jonah said no. The fish said oh. And Jonah says whoa. 
And indeed he did with prayers of uh, thanksgiving and recognition of God's call upon his life. It's at this point that the story begins to change from this uh, stuff of call and running from it to uh, a change of heart, at least to some extent. Hear that, a change of heart, at least to some extent. Jonah relents, and he goes to Nineveh, which was no small trip. Uh, effectively, we're talking about moving from, from Israel all the way over to Iraq. It was that, that kind, of, kind of journey. Nineveh was a great city. Uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those uh, uh, great cities that, that held great sway in, in, in and around that time. The population was, uh, as Scripture reports, was around 120,000 people. The Scripture shares that the city was so vast that in order to, to rightly visit it, it took three days to make your way from one end to the other. It was a, it was a sprawling place. Jonah walked to the city center, and he preached what I have often termed as a half-hearted sermon. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty days, and Nineveh will perish. A half-hearted sermon. There was no three points, no introduction and conclusion, just seven words. Forty days, and Nineveh will perish. And the strangest thing happened. Nineveh repented. From the king on down, the Ninevites uh, turned from their evil ways. And Jonah, interestingly enough, not surprisingly, but interestingly enough, was none too pleased. It just goes to show you what God can do when we, <coughs> when we are the least bit obedient. When we just make that somewhat that step of obedience. When we're the least bit obedient, God can use that to his glory, and great things can be done. It just goes to show what God can do when we are the least bit obedient. God used what uh, Jonah did to great effect, even though Jonah's heart really wasn't in it. It was a half-hearted effort at best. Jonah was so upset with what had transpired that he, that he went out to the, to the desert to, uh, to, to, to sort of pout. It was sort of a classic, uh, passive-aggressive move. Jonah goes out to, to, to vent, to, uh, to just be out there in the desert. And while he was in the desert, he, he just sat. And he was fuming, and, and the, the, the hot sun beat down on him, and that just made things worse. And then as things went along, a, a broom tree sprouted, and it grew to provide shade over Jonah. And then the next morning, a worm uh, got to that tree, infected the tree, and, and basically smote it and, uh, and it, and it died, and the shade was no more. And it was then that Jonah picked up what, what became a pretty serious dialogue between himself and God. It's here that the, the story of Jonah uh, turns. It becomes a, a story about the, the need of real change, and real obedience. How important real change and real obedience uh, is to, to each of our lives, particularly when it comes to the call of God upon our lives. 
as we seek to reach out to those who are around us. In, in venting his frustration over God allowing the Ninevites to, to repent, uh, Jonah exclaimed, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? In, in, in so many words, I just knew, I just knew that this is what you would do. He knew God enough that this was the very thing that, uh, that God would do. To which the Lord replied, You know, Jonah, you care more about that broom tree than you do about the 120,000 souls that were just one. And then God uh, sort of leaves the mix. The conversation is over. And Jonah is left to, uh, to think about a lot, just as we're left to think about a lot as well, particularly when it comes to, to reaching out to those who are different from us as we reach out to those that we don't necessarily care for, those that we keep at arm's length, those that may be way, way over there. And we got a lot to think about as well. The story just sort of ends there with Jonah stewing over what God had said. It's been said that the book of Jonah is a whale of a story, and indeed it is. Some have said that the, the book of Jonah is the most evangelistic book in the entire Old Testament, and I tend to agree. We, we learn from the book of Jonah. I, I hope that we sit before it and that we, uh, we, we ponder what is, what is written, that we ponder this great story, that we allow God to speak his story into our lives through this great prophecy. We need Jonah. We need Jonah to remind us that God does not let us off the hook when it comes to his call for our lives. God stays with us until our hearts are fully changed and we find ourselves fully obedient. God's just going to stay after us. He, he's going to be unrelenting in his pursuit of our lives until we finally make that faith filled response, whether it involves our, our own salvation or whether it becomes a, a matter of us fulfilling the, the call that God lays upon us. There is no room in God's kingdom for a half-hearted and begrudging response. And so as we stand in the light of Jonah and as God speaks to us through this book, we've got to consider the disposition of our own heart, how begrudging we might be, how half-hearted we are all too often. So what is the lesson of all of this? That same question was asked by a Sunday school teacher uh, as she taught the book of Jonah to her first graders. What's the lesson in all of this? She uh, asked her class, and it was then the little boy raised his hand, and he said the lesson of the book of Jonah is that people make whales sick. Probably missed the vote on that one. The real lesson, at least as I see it, this great story has to do with obedience. Obedience that issues from a sincere heart. Obedience that says, whatever God says, I will do. Whoever God wants me Wherever God wants me to go, I will go. Whoever God wants me to reach out to, I'll reach out to that person. 
obedience. Full obedience. Faithful obedience. Obedience that issues from a sincere heart. Calling us to move beyond where we are to engage others who are around us, whoever that may be, wherever they might, uh, might go, whoever uh, they may be. God calls us to respond with a faithful obedience. And may it be that as we consider the great words of this book, this wonderful story that has everything to do with our lives as well, that we find ourselves responding with faithful obedience. May God be with us all. And so as we prepare to, to come to this table to share in this holy meal, which does... Uh, stand to uh, offer good food for the road ahead, the right sustenance. Let me invite Ashley to come as she, uh, she lets the Lord use her to prepare us for this holy meal.